1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey friends, welcome to this week's episode of Rev Covery. I am so very happy to be here with you. My name is Justin and my podcast partner is Sarah and we are both former pastors that are here and we're ready to talk about it. And we also talk about it with some friends and this week we welcome to the Rev Covery room Josiah of the Slow Train to Heck podcast, which on its own is just such a great name. And Josiah is such a wonderful person, a great conversation. He is a Canadian, and Sarah is also Canadian, so I was the lone American on this podcast. And it was wonderful to sit with with both of them and to learn a little bit about what it is like when you have something, uh, when the truth is inside you and you need to tell it, and what happens sometimes when that does not go according to plan. It is a wonderful conversation and I can't wait for you all to hear it. And I want to hear about your reaction to it. One of the best plays we can do that is on our discord. You can check that out via our Patreon. We'll give more information at the end of the conversation, but I want to hear how this conversation landed with some of you. Cause I think it's, it is, is a conversation that really speaks to a lot of the way many of us feel, whether we were ministers or whether we were super volunteers, that that feeling of trappedness when you know you need to say something and it's not it's not being heard the way it should be. So anyway, I'm going to stop gushing about the conversation and just let you hear it. Thanks so much for listening and uh, don't forget to stick around for the poem. Friends, it is so good to be together again for another episode of Recovery. As a Canadian, it is just my pride and joy and to welcome someone from my home and native land. <laughs> we have now had two Canadians on, Justin. Oh, well, I should be proud. Like diversity, I guess. Diversity. Here, we're doing it. I am so excited. I decided we would love to hear your story, hear a little bit about you. I've filled Justin in a little bit about kind of your story, but I was so lucky to be interviewed on your podcast, Slow Train to Heck, which I started following you because I was like, what, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) Clever. And it's also just really, and then started sort of listening to different clips of interviews and feeling just an absolute similar. uh, So I got to be on Slow Train to Heck and then got to hear a little bit of your story because you and I stayed off on after and just like chatted for a long time. So you you, what we usually ask is how long were you in ministry? And, and again, we joke that it's almost like being in prison. Like how long did you serve? You <laughs> yeah. for? Done um, my time. But, right. So how long did you serve and in what capacity and what were you in for? Share, share a little bit about your church experience, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah. So grew up in Canada, 
still in Canada. I'm 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 stuck here, <laughs> and it's in a good way. I, I love it here. And I was born to a very uh, conservative Christian environment. My dad is a pastor and st- still is a pastor of of what would pass, I guess, for a mega church here in southwestern Ontario. It's like 700 people. That is a mega church within the post-Christian culture, for sure. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and I, so yeah, I served from birth almost because when you're the, I was the oldest child of the senior pastor and you have to keep up appearances, I guess, to, to sort of, you know, embody that persona. But yeah, I play in youth group. I was on the student leadership team. I played on the worship team. team Yeah, that's right. And then once I moved away, I was a unpaid volunteer youth leader, pastor person for, uh, oh, six years, I think. And then I was headhunted for the elder board at that same church. And I, I, well, I was only 24 four at the time. So I was a junior elder. Wow. (laughs) But yeah. And then that all exploded and we can get into that if you want. Um, We're we're absolutely going to get into that. (laughs) We're just warming you up, but you're Canadian. So we're going to start real polite, real slow. Perfect. (laughs) That was interesting. That's what we'll say. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've, I've explained to Justin, there's certain things we say like, oh, that's different. <laughs> we don't oh, yeah, like yeah. Or, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it is, an interesting it is very polite and Southern. Like most of my family is from the South. So I kind of understand that like, oh, that was awful, but you can't really say that. So you say, oh, no. oh, bless your heart. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. God oh, that's you. different. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the polite way to do it. So you, it. you grew up kind of having to be part of church and then you chose yes. it for yourself is what I'm hearing when you're about. I did you're in leadership what kind of led you say to it's funny that you say I worked for free that is a common story that we're hearing a lot as well that volunteers there's very few things that we would do and such a lot of hours so I think about uh, my parents are very involved in United Way they're very involved in you know different arts organizations but they're only spending like an hour to two hours a month on this we're talking like hours to two hours to three hours a week and for six years, a long time for a partnership and unpaid. So can you tell us kind of what was the unraveling, if you will, uh, and what kind of led you to kind of capturing other people's stories and, as well? Yeah, so you're right that I I did absolutely choose it for myself. And I was very passionate about it as, as a Christian and a very conservative five-point Calvinist Christian as well. Oh, nice. wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got like um, the gold star of conservatism. That's, that's right. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I was big John Piper fan, John MacArthur, <laughs> the works. <laughs> I love it. I didn't know yeah. Canadians were allowed to do that, but okay, keep going. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I went and I volunteered to, to teach uh, the kids and youth because A, I loved God and B, I love the kids and I wanted them to love God as well. and. I was aware of other viewpoints out there about things like creation and the flood and atonement theories and that kind of stuff. And I believed that if we wanted the kids to stick to what we were teaching, which obviously we did, then we had to present the other side as well to give them the whole picture. So then they're actually choosing for themselves and make it their own kind of thing. and. I brought to the elder board because you have to run everything you're teaching the kids by the elder board. 
I want to teach, you know, local flood versus global flood versus metaphor versus literal. And I was backed up against a wall physically with a finger in my face saying, these are doors you should not be opening. These are questions you should not be asking. The flood opened a flood. Yes, it did. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, I've done something horrible. I have opened the gates of hell in this church by asking these questions. But really what I felt was I, I, I'm risking becoming a virus here by asking these questions. And I'm, I'm going to infect the kids. I'm going to infect the church by opening up doors I shouldn't be opening. So I shut that down. And then later, like I said, they, I, they were like, you're, you're leader material. We want to, we want you to come onto the elder board. And I thought, okay, well, I definitely can't have any questions if I'm going to lead people. I, I can't doubt anything. So I took all those questions and I put them up on the shelf. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, has never done that. Never. <laughs> this never happened to me or anyone listening to this podcast. I'm yeah, sure. No one <laughs> cannot relate. No one can. Yeah, <laughs> that's kidding. right. I know. <laughs> yeah. So that went on. And as you guys can probably understand, when you shove those things down, they're not really gone. They're just percolating. <laughs> And I did my time as as an elder there. And I kept copious notes of the pastor's sermons because I wanted to take those sermons and then distill them down to an easily digestible format for the kids. And the pastor gave out really good, really detailed notes of his sermons on the Sundays too. So I took those and I had done that for six years. And I noticed on one sermon for the gospel of, I want to say it was Mark, that it was extremely similar to something I had read recently in the old MacArthur commentaries on the Gospel of Mark. And I went and I cross-checked it, and the whole sermon was word for word, 100% those commentaries. And I was like, shoot, well, maybe he had an off day. And was just like, I'm just going to preach MacArthur this week. So I went and I pulled a random sampling of sermons over the past six years. Every single one was 100% copied from... Nice. (laughs) We didn't go there. Wow. Okay. Oh, oh, we didn't? Okay. (laughs) I love this. I love this. Yeah. Uh, So it's like Max Max Lucado stuff, John Piper stuff, random churches in the States that would put their their sermons online. I found one from some church in Louisiana. And... You became like a investigator. Yeah. This is like some beautiful mind. Like, Oh, I love this. This was your yarn wall. In my mind, you have a map. With like string, it's red yes. string. Oh and yeah, you're like it's... putting a thumbtack in it. You're like, and this happened. Yeah, twist. Yeah. twist. Who is Pepe Sylvia? Yeah, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I know you guys know Enneagram stuff. And uh, I'm so I'm Enneagram five. So I Enneagram five. News flash to no one. <laughs> ne- ne- never, never has someone's Enneagram number surprised me as little. Yeah. <laughs> as... <laughs> <laughs> and it's so endearing and lovely and wonderful. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. To because you, I think so many pastors just think they won't get caught doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe because, probably because they're not Enneagram fives, like <laughs> or or even head types generally. So I find that it, yeah, it's funny. Like how many people crib their sermons? So yeah. So what did you do with this? Didn't information? know it was a thing, guys. Did not know. <laughs> yeah, I so I fived the shit out of it. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You did. You. you That's did. our next T-shirt. I fived yeah. the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had 
his sermons in one document and others like a word doc and then a dossier the, yeah, we're going to call it a dossier <laughs> i had i had a, i had binders of these sermons with the copied version and the originals with the highlighted stuff correlating between each thing and i went and i gave it to the elder in charge of staffing at the church and i'm he so said, okay this. uh-huh <laughs> he said i will take this back to the, to the board you cannot tell them you discovered this because if you do they will eat you alive and i was like oh okay <laughs> i i i better not do that then which is like Canadian for like murder you guys. Like yeah, absolutely they, yeah, like, like that's like the violentest thing that's ever been said in Canada. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're gonna get Nancy Kerrigan if if you yeah. Say yeah. nice. Yeah. So yeah, so I shut up about it and let him deal with it. Meanwhile, I'm still going to these elders meetings and sitting there. I, I don't know if you guys have ever played the game like Mafia or Werewolf, classic youth group game. Uh it felt like that where I was the mafia and they were the, the villagers. Cause I felt like I didn't know, did I do something wrong here? Because yeah. why are they? Uh, after me? So when it came out, when it ended up being reported to them, the immediate reaction was we got to get this guy, not the pastor. We got to find who discovered this and he cannot let the congregation know about this. Cause it's going to split the church. Yeah. That, and that is the, feels like the most evangelical, response not let's get the person that we found out but let's get the person how dare they investigate this how right. dare they expose our sin how dare right. they accuse us with receipts yeah and the their number one thing was that whoever discovered this did not follow proper matthew 18 protocol oh, um, yeah. which, oh, can you explain it to yes. some of our folks who actually listen and are not biblically part excited. of the club <laughs> yeah so when somebody sins against you you go to them if they refuse to repent at that time then you go i think it's like you bring two strong yeah, people you with two, you yeah, two. yeah and then uh and then if they still don't repent at that point then you bring it to the church so they said this person needed to deal with the pastor privately and just ha have it in private and then be done with it where my position was this is not he's not sinning against me this is a sin against the entire congregation yes. who pay right. you're not taking it personally message. you're taking right. it like for the everyone yeah so i was going by the whole i think it's second timothy three uh, i don't know like the pastor higher standard pastoral qualifications above reproach etc and, and yeah they were not and <laughs> so they brought in eventually the, a bunch of people the chair resigned the pastor in charge of staffing resigned the, the majority was still backing the pastor i was the lone holdout at this point they brought in the two of the big wigs of the entire denomination in canada one of the guys chair of doctrine and credentials was his position um, chair of doctrine and credentials yeah if you're a catholic this would be like one of the big cardinals uh, this it's got a little bit i'm gonna be honest got a little bit of a hogwarts kind of feeling it here. does yeah yeah this is the there there is the chair of doctrine credentials and then the 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 leader the teacher of the dark arts and the other so they brought in dolores umbridge they, they brought saying. in umbridge yeah yeah they did yeah and to be honest it very nearly got to the point where i was having to carve stuff into my into my arms um oh no they so I had written out this whole Second Timothy essay that uh, on on like this is why he's not 
qualified for these reasons. Um, and they basically threw that in the trash and they said, well, we need to forgive. And if, and this is the, this, this is my little spiel about forgiveness. This, I got a real bee in my bonnet about forgiveness. When somebody, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> Please, it's very spill Canadian. the tea. When somebody who has abused their power or something like that apologizes, and now it's like, okay, so you're going to forgive him, right? I'm like, well, no, I'm I'm pissed off about this. He he hasn't he hasn't really uh, apologized. There's no accountability. There's no so yeah. The, mm. It's, what is the restitution? What not restitution? Is that, is that the right word I want? What is yeah. the? How is that? How is their change? How is their right. um, conversion from one? Well, how is their repentance? Else? Like they repentance want everyone else. To, everyone else wants. They want everyone else to repent. But when you call on them to repent, it's like, well, we need to forgive. Yeah, and then if you withhold forgiveness, now, now the who's the villain? Yeah, exactly. It, it is. It, I mean, standing back, you almost have to admire how well the system accidentally works in people's favor. Like, because I don't think I, I, I have to believe as a just someone who doesn't want to lose all faith in humanity that this wasn't like there wasn't like a person that intentionally was like, let's make the doctrine so that no one in power gets, you know, held accountable. But just slowly over time, it just accretes this way. And then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, you you cannot report anybody because if you do, you're the problem. And and this, honestly, as far as things to report, isn't that terrible. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. It's lying. It's misleading. It's but it's also like he could have he could have probably come clean on this and ended up looking pretty good. That's the thing. Right. Yeah. If he had owned it, it would have been fine. Just kind of. And. And you were going about what I would call like the proper, you weren't accusing him out yeah. of, you, you're like, here's what I got. Yeah. Uh, and we're actually going to be interviewing someone else who, our friend Heather, who had a similar experience. However, the, the difference was she was on staff and mm. recognized another staff member was doing the same thing you're talking about, going to a conference and suddenly coming back with these sermons that everybody loved. And she was like, we just heard that sermon as, oh, a, as yeah. a stat, like, you know, and it's embarrassing. It's awkward. It's weird. But you can be honest and be like, look, I was being um, even if you like say, look, I was being influenced or I was inspired by the work of I, I was just trying my best or whatever it might be like so different than the problem is the person who is noticing that some intellectual property isn't being borrowed is being like absolutely taken yeah and mm -hmm. and passed off as your own yeah the names in the sermon illustrations were even switched it stop like, it yeah sermon Personal. illustrations yeah. i would <laughs> yeah oh no. no i mean i'm i will i will admit that there have definitely been things i've heard like illustrations i've heard that was like this is good but it's like i would almost always even just flippantly say like where i got it from you know like Almost just out of reflex. I mean, I'm sure if someone combed the internet archive forever, there might be one or two that slipped through. But I, I definitely am like, it's not a big deal to just be like, "Hey, I read this book. It's really good. Here's something out of that." Yeah, and everybody you would still be fine get with the that. credit. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not uh, like people still clap for 
praise you at the end and shake your hand at the end of the sermon and say how wonderful it is. It's not like they're like, oh, and the number of times I had to say I read somewhere because I knew I'd read it somewhere, but I couldn't tell you where I read it. And then if someone needed to know where it was from, so I say, I read somewhere about this story, which is one thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I would love to be a little more accurate about it. But when you're asked to produce something every week, it's overwhelming. It's hard. Absolutely. I think people will go along in the journey with you and you say, like, this is from something I read. If you want to know more information, you're going to have to hit me up because I can't remember where I read it. But I know I read it somewhere. Or I think the idea of like, there's something different about like, I got inspired by whatever. And now I'm looking at scripture this certain way, right? Like, so there were been several things that I'm like, oh, where did I get that from? And it, and that's different than here is an actual illustration, an object lesson that did not happen to me. That's, that is that's blowing extra my level. mind. It's <laughs> blowing my mind. I was right driving yeah. in the car one day with my wife and we like, what? No, you, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was it was wild. And I had all the documentation out there for him, too. And the receipts. Yeah, I had I, I brought the receipts and I still have the receipts if they want to if they want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they told me the denomination told me that nothing wrong happened here. And but it's still extremely important that the congregation not find out about this. Nothing bad happened, but don't ever talk about it. Yeah. And I said, I'm not super comfortable with that. And they said, either you leave here. And I remember this so clearly. I remember the room. I remember how it felt. Either you leave here in agreement with us or you do not leave. What? (laughs) Yeah. And I was so so at the time, this is eight years ago. I think I was 25. I'm 25. I don't know anything. I'm just happy to be here. And I think I'm like, what are they going to do to me? Am I going to be you like, don't leave here? Yeah. And it ended up, it was an empty threat, obviously, because I still do have my kneecaps, but I was, I was terrified. And I'm I, sure I didn't have the language back then for what was happening, but I was like shaking and I couldn't breathe. And I know now that I was having a panic attack and I, I c- completely capitulated and it was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll shut up. I won't say anything. And at the end, they left because they had to go back to Toronto. And I told the rest of the elders, yes, I confess it was me. I, I found the stuff. You're um, confessing. Yeah. And I, I said, don't know how to stop blinking, guys. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I have no ability to not react to this. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I confessed and they said, yeah, we had an, we had an idea. And... <sighs> Yeah. And then, so I I said, you know, I I can't continue. I have to resign because I'm not on board with the direction things are going. So my wife and I, my wife was, was eight months pregnant at the time. And we, our whole life was this church. And I said, we have to resign immediately. And they were between me and the door. Oh, oh, they're between you and the door. Yeah. Uh, So on, on the way out, they, I had to hug each of them um at their request and that was super violating oh i'm sure yeah and yeah that was the worst uh, but but leaving there was like both a weight off my shoulders but just this crushing loss because we had to ghost everybody because i was terrified i, I now i know this is a this is not really what would happen but i was like are they going to press charges if i say something am i going to get 
uh, like, am I going to get sued? So I said nothing except to two close, very close friends who they and their families ended up leaving as well. But yeah, we lost like all those kids. I ghosted and I, I regret I've since reconnected with a few of them, but like we lost everything. We, you know, you know, when you're, you're in a church, you got like, and you're having a baby that you're going to get like yeah. a baby shower. You're going to get yeah, meals. Sure. Brought. Nothing. It was oh. the worst. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. I Do you need like a minute? Like, yeah, God, I can't imagine. It, it is incredible. That is a tough story to walk through. Like it's, it's okay if you need a minute before we continue. <laughs> like I, yeah, I, I just want to acknowledge that, that that's, that's a lot. You're having, and this was your first kid. Uh, that was our first. Yep. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. I just, I'd love to give you a minute. And also the idea of your wife, who is also part of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I just need to remind our listeners, this is about plagiarism. Yeah. Yeah. This there's is not, not an actual body. Somewhere no. That like, no, there's no body. There's, there's no, no scandal. Like, and there's no wrongdoing on your part. Yeah. And, and I think to this, it brings up a lot for me when it comes to pastors and the pastors and ministry leaders that get so much shit on the internet for not having come forward sooner or not been affirming sooner or whatever. Or not quit sooner or like how like you don't know if you've not been in a ministry position like you don't know the pressure and the stickiness to stay of mm-hmm. a board and like like and and the threats you get and they might not be physical violence but it's like you're going to hell which is you know like i mean i think it's an empty threat now but at the time like you know, like when you have so much of that dangling in the balance and friendships and your finances and the, your kids' relationships, like, mm-hmm. and you're having a kid, like, I think, yeah, I, like, and I don't know, both of you have gone through this. So I think there is this excitement about having a kid within that kind of a community space. Yes. That, many people don't understand. I think it, I think part of it has to do with the change of our society. So I think back uh, in the day, we all live fairly close to generate multi-generational parts of our family. And so we would have this experience of having a child within community simply because of where we were, simply because of the family that we came out of. We all know that like everything has become more where people move in different areas and different spaces, right? And so I think there is something innately true about us where having a child in isolation is not the way we're supposed to do it. I think we know that. I think we know every one of my friends. I have, There is not a close friend that I've had that has had a kid and it's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. No, every one of them is like, I don't know. I There is no manual. This kid, you know, and so for them, it's been the intergenerational connections they have. It's been the community they founded, whether it was faith-based or not. And I think faith has given us, a faith-based community gives us this idea that we're not just having this kid on our own. So to have, I think the reaction, uh, wow, when I thought about your wife being pregnant, mm-hmm. you're just trying to tell the truth. You guys have had this expectation, and we all know death of expectation is the worst thing. You've had this expectation of what it's going to mean to bring this person into the world, and not just because of the church community, because you grew up in that. Like you said, you were bo- you were a community baby. 
Mm-hmm, I was absolutely. Yeah. And so you're wanting that for your child because there are some good parts of it if it's a healthy system, whether it was or not. And I just want to recognize the loss of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was really hard on my wife, of course, most, most of all, it was going through this massive change in, in our lives and to have that, that ripped away. And then a few months later, my own faith was, was, yeah, it was, it was a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you ghost everybody and no one knows why. Yeah. And you guys are welcoming an infant into the world. Your wife at this point, is she aware of everything that's going on? Well, she's, uh, as far as the church stuff, yeah. She, her and I were were writing it together. But uh, her being a woman, she wasn't allowed to attend the meetings, obviously. Oh, because of the it's one, race. one of those, yeah. one of yeah. those yeah. things. It makes it hard for us to go through yeah. doors. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> something, it's, they attract bears, I think. It is why. Yeah. That is yeah. absolutely why. why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, I, she did not know... Well, let me preface that. So being free of that environment, I realized all those questions that I had before that had been percolating, I didn't have to suppress them anymore because I had nothing left to lose. So I started asking questions and I was reading and I gave myself permission, which is a very real thing that I'm sure you guys are familiar with, uh, is to, to read outside the evangelical canon of of literature approved literature uh, i read bart ehrman uh, jesus interrupted was a huge like fulcrum for me that book not that now i think that there's anything in there that really has any impact on the actual faith itself but it really threw cracks into everything i thought i knew and i thought you know i gotta put everything on hold until i figure this out and we were church shopping trying to find that community again shortly after our daughter was born and we went to this one church and the pastor was preaching on Colossians and he was giving background for the environment that Colossians was written in. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is good. I never got this before. The context. And he said, Ooh, context. I know. John MacArthur doesn't cover that. I know, but just wait, because he said that, so Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, um, but liberal scholars will tell you that Paul maybe didn't actually write Colossians and maybe, maybe uh, it's, it's disputed who actually wrote Colossians and, but they, they're just trying to shake your faith. We know it says right here, Colossians one, one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And for me, that seems like such a small thing now, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. I feel like there's a theme and it's called plagiarism for you. <laughs> and it's like plagiarism in the Bible, plagiarism yeah. in preaching. Yeah. Like this idea of it says right here. Yeah. It says right here. So on the bathroom wall, it says right here for a good time, call Jessica. If I call Jessica, I'm not sure I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably saying? going to get Steve is who right. I'm actually right. going right. to get. Right. What on earth? How, I mean, I think where you ended up uh, mm -hmm. absolutely makes sense. How was this obvious devastation, right? Mm -hmm. Again, I, I keep going back to this incredibly difficult situation happened within the community that you had chosen for yourself, but you still have mom and dad who are part of a community who are, are you able to share any of this with them? Because you're the firstborn, you're the one who 
was pretty close to your parents, I'm guessing, before this, yeah? Yes. Yeah, I was I was on the phone constantly with my dad through that whole thing with the church, uh, and he was very supportive and giving me advice. And, and um, yeah, yeah, I was. And just in case they end up listening to this, I do, I do, I love my parents very much. We disagree on almost everything. <laughs> I, I did not feel that I could talk to them because I knew from being on that side of the fence what people like me, how people like me were thought of who who had left the fold, right? You know, the prodigal son. I, I knew that it would bring them pain. And I had already felt that I'd caused enough pain at the previous church. And I didn't want to keep causing people pain because of my choices. But I couldn't. It was, it was, I would wear this mask, right? Where I would present the Christian face to everybody, right? But inside I got I'm I'm falling apart and it came to, and I started to tell a few trusted people and that didn't most of 80% of the time didn't go well. So I, I couldn't remember. I had to keep track. I was trying to five the shit out of it again. Remember who did I show my real face to? Who knows what? This. Yeah. And again, I'm mm-hmm. seeing literally a war room like with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, yeah, basically. Who knows what 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 can I say to which people are safe and it was driving me crazy. And uh like like literally I was I was I was depressed. I was and I I've said this on my podcast too, but I was borderline suicidal at that point because I had lost every except my wife and my daughter, everything that I thought made me a person and gave me purpose. I and thought the hardest I was... part is to hear this is when everything should be exciting. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I had been part of some cosmic mission to 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 save the world, basically. Right. Um, to, and, and you were and I just want to interject that you were doing the best you knew how to do to make that mission the best it could be. It, it again, you're not trying to tear it down. You didn't anonymously publish it on the internet to the congregation to be like, look at this dude. He's an idiot, you know, like trying to make it like, and I think that's such a theme with so many people that are in rev recovery now. It's mm-hmm. like, we were, we were the true believers. Mm-hmm. Like we were the ones that really wanted to make this good. And then you find out, Oh, that's not what this is actually about. Mm-hmm. And that, that is that's a death for sure and yeah all that reeling and just and then yeah once you start like once that thread is pulled and you didn't pull it it was pulled for you it yeah it all starts to kind of start unraveling first corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Yeah. So, yeah, I did eventually, in bits and pieces, come for lack of a better word, come out to my parents about my unbelief. 
I asked my dad if he thought I was going to hell. And he told me that he thought that God would do what was right. And that's not an answer, dad. (laughs) I know it's almost worse than him just saying, yeah, sorry, because it means not only because I know what he believes. I, Mm -hmm. I not only does he think that I'm going to hell. He also thinks that that's the right call. And, and I've talked to him about that. We've, we've had it out and I've reconciled over that, but we're still on opposite sides of the fence. But I, I think it's something I've had to come to accept is that, yeah, a lot of people think that I am worthy of burning forever because I can't get there. <laughs> and I've tried, but, and I'm open to it, but uh, I can't mentally, I can't do it. And yeah. So it was it a lot of that was done under cover of darkness, basically S- secret my studies and and I did tell my wife uh, when we left that church after that Colossians sermon, I told my wife that I couldn't do it, and that was really, really, really hard. But to her absolute credit, and I will never stop singing her praises about this she, once once she processed that statement, she said, "Show me the work." And uh-huh. I showed her the work and we're, we're still married. So <laughs> happily married. So you go through all that. And then there was one more turn for you to take, uh, which right. was shocking for me. Uh, and I think it explains why story is so important for you. You were interviewed by a huge news thing. So in Canada, we have the CBC, which is our big news broadcasting. What not? And I don't know how they found you or what that story is there, but you've gone through all this trauma already. And then you do this incredible interview and experience. And then would you mind sharing a little bit of that story as well? Yeah, yeah. So I started the podcast. That's really how the how the thing came about. I, I did this podcast. I thought I was going to interview like five of my friends and that would be the end of the road because I wanted to have a forum for people because this is in my circles anyway. You don't really talk about any of this. And it, yeah. it's not something, unless you've lived it, as you guys know, it's really hard to to communicate the depths of, of what occurred to somebody. And so it can lead, and especially because the nature of the evangelical church, where you don't talk about this because you're a virus, it can lead you to feel extremely isolated. And that can be more so even, I think, in Canada, where Christianity is not on the public stage here like it is in the United States. So you think this is just a me problem. This is um, it's not like I'm I've been abused by Mark Driscoll. This is just some little corner church and it, I'm just going to have to figure this out by myself. So I did the podcast because I wanted people to not feel alone in Canada because there are there's a lot of us that have have been through this here in Canada and it's certainly not isolated to the states. But I had somebody on the podcast Kristen, I think I think she's episode seven or, or episode five. She's episode five of the podcast. And uh, her friend, she's friends of friends with a reporter with uh, CBC who heard her episode and then contacted me and said, I want to do a story. And so I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll, it, it'll be on the radio at six in the morning. Five people will listen because who listens to the radio at six in the morning? Right. You're like, I, I can just do this thing. It's just CBC yeah. radio. Who listens Whatever. to radio? Yeah. It's not- it's not on TV. It's not. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they did that. What I did not know at the time is that they were also doing an article on the internet and papers would pick that up. And so it was all over the place. So yeah, it was all over the place and it kind of 
blew up a little bit, which I did not expect. And I am a fairly private person. And I knew that some of the things I said on that in that interview were were pretty vulnerable and revealing. And they got blasted out across the country. And I saw the article go up in the morning and I threw up immediately. Oh. <laughs> and it and it it was good, but it was it was terrifying uh, to do that. And then my parents caught wind of it because I did not talk to them and tell them I was doing this because I'm 33 years old and I don't I don't have yeah, to get you don't check in with mom and dad all the time. Yeah, and they didn't love it, <laughs> but it did lead to a very good conversation between me and them where we covered a lot of things that needed to be said and and uh, so it did end up being good, but. Yeah. So now you Google my name. That's the first thing that pops up. And I'm sure it's going to haunt me in job interviews in the future. <laughs> yeah. So you went from this very private person who is having questions about the experience that you're having mm -hmm. and not even like questions like, is any of this real? <laughs> mm -hmm. But then there was a crack and then the crack led you to like invest because you're a five. So you're just going to like mm -hmm. keep looking. Uh, and friends, those of you who aren't part of the Enneagram cult, we're so sorry. So five are intellectuals. <laughs> They're the ones who knowledge is the most important thing, right? It's like knowledge is the way to feel safe. You know, it, they're the people who love you to death, but they will Google everything you say because they're just, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with like, I just want to make sure that I'm like aware of what's happening here in this conversation. Yeah. So you have all of that happening. You have a kid. Your meantime, you never have worked like your paycheck isn't tied to this. It's just no. your entire community is. Yes. And then you become a public face of questioning um, spiritual spaces and places. How have you been able to sort of find some rest from the chaos? Has doing the podcast been helpful for you? Is it hearing other people's stories? What has been sort of that like grounding thing? Because man, you were up in the air for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's that's such a good question. I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna be honest. I uh, like. I'm not sure I've 100 figured it out, <laughs> and I don't know also that I will. Also safe here. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. safe here. Yeah, it's it's something I'm still trying to figure out as I go. What I can say is that doing the podcast has been extremely healing for me. Hearing the stories of other people and such diverse stories you know like we got people who who have left faith entirely people who've come back to the faith people who have gone to a completely different version of christianity and and it's just all these twists and turns but everybody coming to a more a more real version of themselves a more a more whole version of themselves that the church in their experience took from them or or suppressed in them and that they've found this release since then and for me seeing that and being able to to platform those stories it it has helped me recover i think some of that that purpose not i mean i could i could talk for a long time about definition of purpose but not it's it's purpose that i've chosen i guess rather than the cosmic mission that's been assigned to me and that feels a whole lot better <laughs> and just being able to hear the stories of people that have gone through it and so it's every time it's a reminder i'm not alone it's not just me there's a system at work here there's a problem it's systemic 
And I'm not, I'm not crazy for thinking that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we always come back to the, like, people create the thing they need. Mm -hmm. But I think about your biggest fear in that moment when they're like looking at you and like, you can't leave here. And in some ways you couldn't like you community, everything was so tied into this, but then you chose to leave and find one that wasn't tied to all this stuff. And then the thing you needed and the thing you knew you were going to need was community. And then you've created it not just for yourself, but others, because it is a unique experience when you grow up in a culture that is post-Christian. I'm going to use language that I don't, I don't love, but this almost this war idea, like you're in war with culture and society. And, and, and they use that in America all the time when it's just kind of hysterical. Cause it's like, guys, you're literally the cultural creators. Like, I don't want to hear that, like, you're having to fight it. But when you grow up in a culture or a space or place that sometimes Christianity seems out of rub with, right? Like, so I grew up where gay marriage was not even like a question. Of course, we're doing gay, you know. And then I moved to the South where it's like, no, you know, so there's all these things where you're learned, you learn to think you're on the right side of some sort of like, like, you really are the minority, mm -hmm. which gives you identity and gives you culture in a way that doesn't make sense. Now, Americans often will talk about this idea of like, oh, we're the oppressed. Like, that's my favorite, like, <laughs> trope, right? Like, the yeah. oppressed the, Christian. The, the persecution complex. Persecution. Oh, bless. Of, you know, white evangelical Christians mm. who... They just want to pray. They just want to pray in school. Yeah. They don't understand yeah. why they can't. And uh, we just want to pray so loudly that no one else can hear us. Like, why can't we just do that? Why can't we you do know? that? Like, we we just want our we want our rules on the courthouse. Yeah, freedom right. of religion means freedom for evangelicals to do right. whatever we want. Exactly, right. and no one else. And no one right. else. And <laughs> yeah. and that's that's what God that's what Christ died for. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and we joke about that, but but the truth of the matter is, when you grow up in a post Christian culture, there is identity around that, and so it's so mm -hmm. yeah. it's identity of being the outsider. It's identity of being like you know, because there were only certain people that could carry, you couldn't really, I couldn't talk about my faith in a lot of public spaces growing up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And not because it was like, you know, it's because a lot of times when I told my friends in Canada that I believed in God, it was like, I told them that I believed in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that is so good for you. That's cute. <laughs> and I think when you do that, that when you find the people who are like, oh, me too, then there's like this strange bond that grows. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to just pass lately that this is a unique experience. And so you coming out into the space and sharing stories, really, I think that's what captured me. And I think it's captured so many people is this idea of like, oh, wait, there's other people who are who were part of this thing, but now they're not, like, not sure they're part of this thing. It's almost like they're welcome back into mm -hmm. the like main space. But mm -hmm. you're like, but I also spent all this time and that's, I don't know how to reconcile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think story is so important for, for communicating anything, really. It's why I love hearing those stories. It's why I love listening to you guys on Recovery. Story gets at a deeper, a deeper sense of, 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 hu of humanity. I think than just spitting out facts, which is a lot for me as a five to say. Uh, <laughs> Guys, we've um, had a breakthrough. We have yeah, had yeah. a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, and it humanizes people. I yeah. there are people that hate listen to my show, um, and but I I'm glad 
because I want them to hear the humans on the other side of the divide and what the church has done to them. And, and maybe that will, I mean, I don't have delusions of grandeur about this or anything, but if it could spark some kind of reform in one church, I, I would be happy. Yeah. I, I think the narrative many folks that are still in will say, like when they hear the story of like somebody getting hurt, like, oh, that was one person and that was awful. But then when we're able to accumulate story after story after story in, and not just one church, but multiple churches, churches that you even thought were great, denominations mm-hmm. you thought were okay, you know, like it, it, and it's not that every place is awful or bad, but I think, yeah, when you can begin to just, just, yeah, here's a mic and you're free to say what you need to say. I think that, that to me is sacred work. That to me is good work. Um, you know, even as someone who's not, was an uneasy relationship with the sacred. Like when I see it, I can go, yeah, that's, that, that's where that is. I'm not going to, you know, try to make a business or found a church about it. But I, <laughs> when I see it, I see it. And it's, I don't good. know what that is, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but uh, I'll call it sacred. Cause it feels like that's a good word for it. And, and yeah, that's, that is wonderful work. And I, I am grateful you're doing it. I, and I'll say even too, like, just to bring back to Enneagram language, like as, as a five, you are a very well-developed five and you have gone through a lot of the pitfalls that fives have to go through and, and come out on the other end with this great platform and this, you know, great heart for people. And, and that's a good thing. I, I think when we have to go through that crucible, like whatever your Enneagram number is, like it will change you. And, and sometimes it changes people for the worse, but some lucky individuals that have what little support they have and, and make good choices. Like it can actually make you a lot better. And I think, and, and make others around you better. I think that's, that, that's a good thing because I, so much of our ministry culture can be, got to preserve myself, got to preserve my position, got to, you know, and, and letting go of that is it's a death, but I think there's a lot of personal development and spiritual development that happens because you did that. And that's, and that's a good thing. So I see that in you. I see that in a lot of our listeners and our people, and and I see it what you, what you're doing. And that's really cool. I do have sort of a, a question because we get it so much in our discord in particular, and also folks, you've, you've really had to negotiate family relationships. Mm-hmm. Is there one practical thing? And it's okay if you're like, actually, we're just, I'm just, we're just trying around this, because I think it's important too to note, you didn't just lose your church. I mean, your family is still around, but there is a, there's a divide. There mm-hmm. is something there that is intangible. It's difficult. Is there, any sort of <laughs> advice you would give? Because we get it all the time. How do I, how do I deal with my, as much as people, I think the questions we get all the time is how do I deal with losing community and find friends? And the second thing is, what do I do with my family? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a tough question. Situation I think is going to be a little different. For me, the, the hardest part, I think, was realizing that I am enough myself and I don't need their approval for, to do everything in my life. And that is a really hard hurdle to jump over, especially if you're raised evangelical and raised by James Dobson. Um, <laughs> but 
So many people were just like, yes. (laughs) When you realize that you yourself are enough and you don't need to justify yourself to anybody or, but especially them, then that I think opens a path up for you to, to be more, uh, to, to not have so many walls up around when you're, when you're interacting with your family, because if you have those walls up, they're going to sense that and that they're going to get bugged by it. And even though you're totally 100% justified in having those walls, but if you're able to, if it, if it's, if you can have the space and the capacity to do it, if you're able to drop those then that'll make things comfortable for them and may open some roads to some more, some conversations where they might be more willing to hear your side of things. And, you know, don't try to, don't try to, convert them to your your way because that's that's the worst i've been down that road myself uh, and i get that that drive to want to do that because you feel like if i can convince somebody if i can just convince somebody that i'm not crazy then maybe it'll make me feel better so i get that but if you can uh, yeah if, if you can let those walls down a little bit and just just be open and honest about how you're doing and just be okay with who you are and know that you don't have to justify yourself to them. I don't know if that's helpful. That's that's what that's I've tried inc- to do, but incredibly yeah. helpful. The idea, like a non-anxious presence, when when they cannot add or take away, then you enter the space in a different way. Yeah, yeah. You're, you've <laughs> got all the cards. <laughs> yeah, that's true of any relationship. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and but when family is special, and when you can state, "Hey, this is who I am. This is this is what I'm about," without it automatically endangering the relationship at least from your end i think that is incredibly helpful as well that's what i found i haven't talked to all of my family um some listen to this they may listen to it they may not hi if you're here but it it's more of a like if you ask me i will talk to you about it but i i usually preface it for me it's like this isn't going to change my relationship with you unless you do that right and I think coming out of that too, relationships are so in that sphere, relationships are centered around Christ. And when you say, I'm not participating in that part of the relationship, that's very, they're like, well, well then what even is this relationship? Yes. So you need to sh- model for them what a relationship looks like outside of that model that they've got. And, and that's okay, I think. Yeah. Like you're still my family member. Right. That didn't like... That doesn't change and if you need that to change then we can talk about that right but mm-hmm. i i've remained in relationship with you quietly not believing what you believe mm-hmm. and the only thing that's changed from my perspective is now you know and so yeah i think relinquishing the outcome in some ways mm-hmm. because you're doing the work that you were talking about of like if this relationship dies because we don't believe the same thing I've done the work to be able to be like, then, then it dies and, mm-hmm. and I can mourn that and grieve that. But from my perspective, or well, not my, my experience is it's usually not, has, it's not been as bad as I thought it would be. Not everybody has that experience though. And so I, I, I don't feel like any of us on this podcast can give a, like, this is what you should do. Absolutely not. Because, because no. I don't have to own the consequences of what you did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can just say what I did and you can but say here, what you did. If this yeah. is helpful. And that's yeah. why I always say like, what tips or thoughts? Cause I, I don't think we want prescriptions anymore. I don't think any of us yeah. want to mm-hmm. live within that, nor do we want to be the, the dishers out of it. So 
I am so grateful for the time you have spent with us for just the absolute incredible conversation this has already been. Can you share a little bit about where folks can find you and sort of what what's what's up for the next season? Because this is a whole year you've been doing this. this is yes. Yeah, it's yeah. been a year now. Um, yeah. So I'm on Instagram. It's at slow train to heck. And I got a Facebook page as well. Instagram is generally the best place because Facebook is weird about the stuff. So follow me on Instagram. You can email me if you want to. Like My inbox is open. I'm happy to chat with anybody. Slow train to heck at gmail.com. Yeah, and if, if you're Canadian listening to this and you have a story that you want to share on the show, hit me up for sure. I got lots of lots of spots open. So guys, go check out this show. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for always yeah, being part of this Revcovery in the Revcovery room and stick around for the poem at the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreoncom slash recovery. Now, we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening, and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Rev Covery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. Our friendship folder of the Homebrewed Christianity Podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party, and friends, you are invited. Come to Theology Beer Camp, which is a three-day theological podcast beer nerd fest. So for $50 off your registration, please make sure to use the code REVCOVERY. You can come thirsty, you're going to get nerdy, and it's three days of theological zest. Who doesn't want to go to this? It's October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And again, don't forget to use the REVCOVERY code because that's going to get you $50 off. And then we can finally meet face-to-face. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Thanks for sticking around for the poem. This week, I'm actually going to share a poem. A lot of times I end up sharing a quote, but this time I felt like a poem was appropriate. And I'm going to share a poem, and stick with me, folks. I'm going to share a poem from The Lord of the Rings. I I don't know why this one struck me. I think maybe it's because The Rings of Power came out. Maybe it's because Josiah and I bonded over our shared love of Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know why, but this one really stuck out to me. It's one that maybe if you are a Lord of the Rings person, you have heard. But I think it also, if if you listen to it with the right ears, it can speak to the journey I think a lot of us are on when it comes to deconstruction or questioning our faith or even asking that first question. If you know anything about Lord of the Rings, a lot a lot is made that it's, it's a dangerous business going out your front door and... That's the way it feels sometimes as we are taking those first steps into this wider world. And so here's a poem from Lord of the Rings. It's called The Road Goes Ever On and On. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can. Pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way, where other paths and errands meet, And whither then, I cannot say. May you feel company. May you feel delight. May you feel bravery and courage as you 
walk the road that you are on and may it join that larger way have a great week my friends First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.